know this spent a lot of time with my head in the clouds. I was a dreamer, a believer in unicorns, fairies, fairy tales, magic, miracles, all of it. So of course I lived for the holiday season. There's always at least one movie on TV at any given point during the holidays in which someone gets a rapturous expression on her face, puts a hand to her chest and exclaims, why, it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> I wanted to be that person. I couldn't imagine not believing in magic. Life, as we know, has a way of carrying us to unexpected places. And in my 20s, I found myself in a relationship that was neither healthy nor healthy. We met when I was in college, and I fell hard and fast. To my naive 20-year-old eyes, he was everything. He was wise and intelligent and charming and charismatic, the, the full package. Things were great at first. Um, probably about a year in, they began to unravel. And cracks started appearing in the facade of this beautiful life that I had built up for us in my head. He had begun to display a tendency toward cruelty, and I blamed myself, of course, because that's what I did in those days. I figured that if only I could be different, if I could be thinner or prettier or smarter or stronger or a better cook or a better girlfriend, that I could make the relationship better too. So I spent a lot of time catering to his every whim and desire and ignoring my own. I walked on eggshells a lot of the time, and perhaps not surprisingly, I plunged into a dark depression that lasted for many years. I was isolated and alone, and there wasn't a whole lot of room left in my life for joy, not even around the holidays. One Christmas in particular, I'll never forget. It was our fourth Christmas together, and we were driving back from my parents' house where we had had dinner and exchanged gifts. He was seething in the passenger seat next to me. You see, I promised him that we would leave my parents' house at 8 p.m., but the goodbyes had taken longer than I had anticipated, and we didn't end up pulling out of the driveway until 8.37. He was furious. He was shouting at me, calling me names, telling me how selfish I was, that I had ruined Christmas and when his words didn't have the desired impact, he reached into the back seat and rooted around among the presents for my parents. Came up with this sweater. It was cotton candy pink and impossibly soft, a gift from my mom, so much nicer than anything I could have bought myself at that time. It had lace on the shoulders and three pearl buttons just below the notch of the collarbone. It was beautiful. He grabbed that sweater by the shoulders and he pulled, tearing a jagged line right down the center of it. The button popped off and pinged against the windshield. I burst into tears. I felt defeated. He won. Something withered up and died inside me that day. The notion that fairy tales and magic and miracles and all of these things actually existed. I realized that nobody was going to come swooping into my life, fairy godmother style, and wave a magic wand in the air. I decided I had to grow up and understand that sometimes life was hard and sometimes people hurt you, even on Christmas. Fast forward five years, November 2013. I was 29 years old, still in that relationship and completely miserable. And by this point, I had come to understand that this was not what I wanted for my life and I had actually made many attempts to leave. I, you know, I've lost count of the number of times that I packed everything in my car and drove away, sometimes for hours, and I would get to, you know, some random place. I'd check into a seedy motel in a terrible part of whatever town that I had ended up in, 
fully intending to rest up and then continue on in the next, you know, the next morning. But all it would take would be one phone call from him. And those calls always went one of two ways. Either he would request my return and I would comply because that's what I did. Or, and it was the craziest thing, I would find myself begging him to let me come back. I couldn't understand it because I knew that wasn't what I wanted. I, my mouth would be saying the words and I would be in my head just saying, what are you doing? Get in the car, keep driving, get away, no, don't go back. But my words would betray me every time. By this point, my love for him was bordering on something that felt like addiction, and I could go, but I could never stay gone. So this particular day in November 2013, we fought, and that was remarkable because that fight was so unremarkable. You see, as our relationship deteriorated, so had our communication, and by this point, our fights were something terrible to behold. They were terrifying soul-destroying and often ended with my possessions being destroyed or a hole pushed through the wall. But this one, this one was so mild, and I remember thinking even in the middle of it, like, is this how normal couples argue? This is awesome. But even despite its lack of intensity, I felt this seed, the seed of anger, right here in my solar plexus. And it started to grow and churn and bubble and just get bigger and bigger. It was like molten lava and I was a volcano about to explode, and then I had this moment of blinding, white-hot clarity. And I said to myself, look what this is doing to me. This is not me, this, this rage-filled creature. This is not how I want to be. So before I could overthink it, I reached for my phone, and I dialed my mother's number. She was at work when she answered the phone, but I told her I needed help, and she sent my dad to come pick me up. So less than an hour later, his pickup truck was bouncing into my driveway, and part of me was so panicked. This, this thought of like, like, what am I doing? Am I really leaving my life and my love behind right now? Is this what I'm doing? And the other part of me was just running around the house, grabbing things, grabbing clothes from drawers and books from shelves, and just, just frantically, because I knew that if I hesitated, I would change my mind. When the bare necessities of my life had been hastily flung into my dad's pickup truck, in the passenger seat and he drove away. And the whole ride to my parents' house, I just vacillated back and forth between panic and relief. Panic because I felt like I had jumped off a cliff. I, I was leaving my life behind. And yeah, it wasn't much of a life, but it was what I knew. I didn't know what was waiting for me on the other side, and so I was terrified. Relief because I'd finally done it. I had done this thing I'd been meaning to do all these years. And what's more, someone else was driving. I couldn't turn around and go, turn, go back. I couldn't go back. That, that pattern of panic and relief, panic and relief, would become intimately familiar over the next few weeks. It was a strange and confusing time. I felt very disjointed, very adrift. I didn't really know what to do with myself. I was 29 years old, living with my parents again. I got through Thanksgiving, you know, I put a smile on my face and made it through the festivities, but I felt so numb and detached, like I was just watching everything from underwater. About two weeks before Christmas, I was invited to a holiday party by some friends. And I, you know, I still felt numb and detached and all that, but I went, figuring it would lift my spirits. I fully didn't intend to see my ex there, but shortly after I arrived, so did he. As soon as he walked in that door, it was like the whole place shrunk in around me. I could feel the walls caving in, everything got darker, and I felt like an animal, like, backed into a corner. I wanted to flee just to get out of there. 
but it was too late, basically. He approached and told me he would like to speak with me outside and like a mom to the plane. I followed him out to the back porch. It was a cold night. I remember snow was falling and I could see my breath in the air. I don't know what I expected, really. I guess a lecture, because that would have followed the pattern. But to my surprise, he dropped down on his knees right down in the snow and begged me to come back home. He said I was the love of his life. He said he hadn't realized how much he needed me until I was gone and that he couldn't live without me. He said he realized things had been awful for me in that relationship and that they would change, he would change. He said all the things that I wanted to hear and I felt my heart start to open like, like a little bud in the spring fog. And I almost said, okay. The word was forming on my lips, but before it could come out, I had another one of those flashes of clarity. And in a moment that seemed to go on forever, three important things happened. The first one was that I began to remember. I'd become so adept at forgetting, at sweeping things under the rug, painting over the cracks, and pretending like everything was fine, but it was very decidedly not. I started to remember things that I had locked away in the corners of my mind, like pain and fear and humiliation and bumps and bruises and black eyes and violence. I remembered like I was living it all over again, lying on my back on the floor with my partner looming over me, pulling me down with his weight. He had his hand over my nose and mouth, pressing down so hard I tasted blood on my tongue. I couldn't breathe, I couldn't breathe, and it was panicking. It was like, Everything was fading. As my vision got blurry in the edges, I remember clinging to this desperate, terrified thought. I don't want to die. But then he released me. And as the air came flooding back into my lungs, I did what I always did. I picked myself up, brushed myself off, and carried on. I'd forgotten that. It had happened just a few months before I forgot. The second thing that happened during that moment that went on forever was that I thought about the phone call I made to my mother on the day that I left. At the time, I hadn't thought it, you know, thought it was anything remarkable, but looking back on it, I realized my mom was at work when she answered that phone call. And that would be totally normal and not a script, except that my mom worked in a building that had zero cell reception, none. She never got calls at work. She had taken to keeping her phone in the stockroom because it was virtually useless anyway. Yet somehow on that day, that day that I needed her the most, the call went through. And not only did it go through, she happened to be standing in the stockroom at the precise moment I called, close enough to hear it vibrate. The enormity of that settled on me in that moment. And then the third thing happened in that moment that seemed to go on forever. I suddenly remembered a statistic that I had read just a few days prior, and it said that every day in the United States of America, three women are killed by their male partners. That's three women every single day murdered by the men who claim to love them. I thought about that. I thought about lying on the floor unable to breathe. I thought about that phone call to my mom, and I realized that that call connecting when it shouldn't have it quite possibly saved my life. If that call hadn't gone through, I would have stayed. And if I had stayed, based on the patterns in that relationship, there's a good chance I would have ended up as one of those statistics. Coming back to the present, there in the snow with my 
partner kneeling before me. I looked in his face, the face of this man that I loved so much. And I concentrated until that face and the face of the man who had loomed over me, cutting off my air supply, were one and the same. And I thought again, I don't want to die. Please come home, he said one more time. And I whispered, I can't. Then I turned around and walked away, leaving him sobbing there in the snow, while my heart quietly shattered into a hundred million pieces. It was the bravest thing I ever did. I wept all the way home. Twice I had to pull over because I couldn't even see the road in front of me through my tears. When I got to my parents' house, I immediately went to the guest bedroom. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I was just so overwhelmed, so overcome with emotion. I didn't know what to do with any of it. In the guest bedroom, there was a box of my things that I hadn't yet unpacked. It was sitting in front of the closet. For lack of anything better to do, I kicked it. And it toppled over and something familiar fell off. It was the ruined pink sweater. You see, that day, five years earlier, I couldn't bring myself to throw it away. Even in its state of ruin, it was far too beautiful to end up at the bottom of a garbage can, so instead I hid it in my drawer under all my clothes because that sweater represented a different kind of life, a kind of life that I wanted with every fiber of my being but didn't think I would ever be able to have. It was meant for a nice, normal life in which nice, normal people did nice, normal things. It wasn't meant for the mess that was my life, but even so, sometimes I would slip my hand in that drawer and let my fingers brush against the fabric as if I could feel that different sort of life, if only just for a moment. Now I ball the sweater up in my fist, put my face in my hands, and started to cry with the soft material. It was like suddenly encountering an old friend. Because at this point, I had told nobody about the things that went on within that relationship, but the sweater knew my secrets. It has suffered in his hands just like I have. We both had jagged scars across our hearts. The only difference was I hadn't come apart the seams. I was still whole. I realized in that moment that life that the sweater had represented to me all those years, that life was right in front of me, and nothing was going to keep me from that life anymore. Because for the first time in almost 10 years, I was safe, I was free, and I had chosen me. So you see, miracles do exist. Maybe not in the good old-fashioned, why it's a Christmas miracle kind of way, but I truly believe that miracles will come into our lives as long as we make room for them. If we make room for them by doing something unprecedented, like picking up the phone to ask for help, the universe will step in and do something seemingly mundane like connect a phone call. And when we are standing face to face with one of the hardest decisions we are ever going to have to make, the universe will give us a nudge by reminding us that we already know the answer and empowering us to choose ourselves. That, my friends, is a miracle.